Good morning. My name is Donald. I am one of the pastors here at First Alliance Church. What a privilege it is to be with you today as we celebrate once again together our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. May I say that one more time as we celebrate together our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Who do we celebrate? Amen, amen, and amen again. And the old uh, Dr. Oliver B. Green used to say, I tell you dogmatically, emphatically, and without apology, Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. He is the reason, period. He's the reason for our existence. He's the reason for our future. He's the reason for our presence. And we give him all the glory because it belongs to him. It is his already. I'm so grateful for this privilege of sharing with you today. Thank God that we are together in this place from the passage that was just read, I want to share, hopefully, a few nuggets with you. This is such a familiar psalm, uh, but my prayer is that the Lord will refresh that which you already know and perhaps further enlighten you on just the greatness of who our God is. As we prepare to end into our examination of this song, there are at least two things I believe we should keep in mind. Number one, this psalm does not suggest that those who follow Christ will never have a problem. If I never had a problem, says the songwriter, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. Although your spirit has been re redeemed, your body and the world around you have not. Therefore, we still encounter difficulties in this life. There's an unseen enemy who always wants to hurt you. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to take away your joy. He wants to inflict pain upon you. And when he does all of these things, he wants to blame God for it. He does not want you to see through what he's doing. So we need to be mindful. Even the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. When is the last time you were persecuted for your testimony? When is the last time somebody challenged you because you expressed genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? When is the last time someone said something bad about you because they know that you are a Christ follower? All who will live, who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, not maybe, will suffer persecution. The second point is, throughout the Bible, it is clearly evident that God is committed to his own glory. There's a passage in Isaiah chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 48, 
um, which is probably the strongest evidence is that God is committed to his own glory. I know that the, the Bible is full of uh, proof that he is committed, but this one really stands out. He says to the children of Israel, for my sake, for the sake of my name, I delay my wrath, and for my praise, I restrain it for you in order not to cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profane in my glory? I will not give to another. God is committed to his own glory. You and I are beneficiaries of the fact that he is committed to his own glory. The children of Israel had sinned greatly, greatly. For years, for decades, for centuries, they had sinned greatly. And God thrust them out of their homeland. But yet he's showing this tender mercy and he's saying that I will restore you. Why would God do that? He says, for my own sake, for the sake of my own glory, to show that I am the God who is rich in mercy. I'm an abundant in loving kindness. And so what he does, he does it not because they deserved it, but he does it to show forth the fact that he is the God of loving kindness. The glory, the honor, and the happiness of God are more important than the welfare of any of his, his creatures. Now, make sure you don't hear what I didn't say. I did not say that your welfare is not important to God. What I did say is that the glory, the honor, and the happiness of God far outweighs your own happiness. It just so happens that your blessings come because God is committed to his own glory. And so we can praise God for that. So we need to keep that in mind. We need to understand that when any soul comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is, yes, for their good, it is not just to keep them out of hell fire, it is for his own glory. And we need to keep that in mind, and perhaps we'll talk about that at some point a little bit further. The Lord is infinitely holy, he's perfectly righteous, he's absolutely just, and he is good. The Lord is infinitely holy, he's perfectly righteous, he's absolutely just, and he is good. Amen, amen, and amen again. And so we're talking about this subject of that the Lord is my shepherd. And so the question or the, the subject of the sermon today is really a question, who is shepherding you? Who is shepherding you? As we look at this and we examine this, we come to understand some, some really, really fascinating things. And, and we're reminded of these things over and over and over. But sometimes, because life gets in the way, we forget these things. That we forget the fact that shepherding is deeply relational. Deeply relational. The Lord is my shepherd. I like the way uh, Brother Will read that 
he placed emphasis on my. The Lord is my shepherd. Shepherding is deeply relational. And throughout this message, we'll, we'll focus on a couple of the, a uh, few of the, 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 the compound words that are used to describe God. For instance, Jehovah is the primary name used here. And literally, the psalmist says, Jehovah is shepherding me. If you are looking for religion, I implore you to stop. Please consider what the psalmist is saying. He read, the Lord, my shepherd. And then he says, I shall not want. He uses the name Jehovah. I am who I am. Which speaks of the self-existent one, the all-wise, the all-knowing, the all-powerful one, the eternal God. The one who depends on nothing and on no one for his existence. And the psalmist is using that name, Jehovah, and he's saying that he has a relationship with the self-existent, the self-sufficient, the all-knowing, the all-wise, the all-powerful God of the universe. And so again, I say, if you're looking for religion, please stop. Consider the invitation to have a relationship with the God of the universe. But also be mindful of this. If you're thinking about religion, what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles using his name? And he will say to them, I, I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So we're not talking religion, we're talking relationship. And if you don't have that relationship, if you cannot say right now that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, please stop right now. You can even stop listening to me and bow your head and pray, Lord, I want that relationship that you've invited me to. Because it is all important. So being religious will not earn you a ticket into heaven. Having a relationship with Jesus is the only way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. One of the saddest funerals I ever attended was that of my fourth brother, who was born just over two years before I arrived on the scene. He passed away just shy of two months after his 70th birthday. There were two reasons why that funeral was, was so sad to me. First of all, even though my brother had professed religion at an early age, his later years were marked as being a workaholic and religious. And the religion to which he was drawn stripped Jesus of his deity. In essence, he had abandoned the true knowledge of Jesus and was walking in religion. And that saddened my heart, and even today, it saddens me. No, I'm not saying where he is. I don't know. What I am saying is that he did not give us any, any evidence, any comfort that he had a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, is what I'm saying. Uh, only the Lord knows for sure. 
The second thing that made that funeral so sad was that the man who delivered the eulogies spoke not one word about who Christ is or what Christ has accomplished in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. As a matter of fact, he used the word hope and wishful. I'm hoping that, that I will be remembered. If you do not know right now, if you do not know before you die, it's going to be too late. He actually used the word and actually made some notes uh, as he was speaking. And I'm not usually critical of people, but, but as he, was, he began, to, began to talk, he said, this man is not talking anything about the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done. So I started making some notes. And he even came to the point of thinking that his death was going to be the payment that would get him in. No, it's Jesus' death. And so there was nothing in the message that gave us any comfort that he was teaching anybody about the reality of who Jesus is. When Jesus was asked, what shall we do so that we will work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Put your trust in him. Religion says, I'm doing my best to make it to heaven. I want you to know that it is not trying, it is trusting. Relationship says, I am resting in the unfailing love of Jesus. It seems like decades ago that during a worship service, I heard a deacon say, as he stood before a congregation, I'm trying to make it in. Relationship says, I'm already seated together with Christ in the heavenlies. The only way to make it in is to be in the Savior. Religion says, I am working to earn God's favor. Relationship says, Jehovah is shepherding me. Shepherding is intimately personal. When one reads the six verses contained in uh, the 23rd Psalm, there's a sense of not merely an acknowledgement of a reality of God, but a deep consciousness of the presence of God in the everyday life of the one who wrote the psalm. If your enjoyment of God begins and ends on this campus, what a sad existence you're living. There's nothing in Scripture that that is mere coincidence. Scripture does not contain anything just to fill the pages. Every word has a divine purpose, and every word is intended to draw people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not just the knowledge about him, but into intimacy with him and with God the Father. Religion teaches people about God, but God doesn't want you to just know about him. He wants you to know him. And this is what we see in the psalm. Shepherding is intimately personal. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. Now contrast that with John, uh, Matthew 7, 23, that I just read, and then I already declared with them, I never knew you. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
Religion is man's attempt to get to God. Christianity is where God in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, has come down to man to give us eternal life. He purchased our redemption at the cross of Calvary. And as the songwriter George Wade Robinson says, and we can say the same thing, I am his and he is mine. Can you turn to somebody and say, if you can, he's mine. Works glorify man, grace glorifies God. Now, I have a confession to make. When I wrote uh, the notes for this sermon, uh, and I had submitted my slides and everything for the tech team, uh, the Lord placed something on my heart. And so I'm going to digress from my notes a little bit, but it's really a part of my notes in reality. I didn't, it just wasn't included when I prepared my sermon. And I wondered why, and just this morning, the Lord made it known to me. It is that one sheep that is so important, that the one sheep that strays away, that the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes out and finds that one sheep, it is that one sheep. And so I may be speaking only to one person right for the next couple of minutes. But you may listen in on this. It is talking about the man, place of man under grace. The man under grace has been accepted in Christ, who is now your standing. You are not on probation. I remember one long time ago when I was what. Well, I've been retired from my secular job, and I say secular, using a, a loose term there. But I remember working, and I administered and, and managed uh, plans, benefit plans. And sometimes those benefit plans for new employees would have a probationary period before they became eligible to participate in the plan. Some of you already know what I'm talking about. But God wants you to know that when you come to Jesus Christ, you are not on probation. You are now already a full-fledged child of a living God. As to your past life, it does not exist. It died at the cross. And Jesus Christ is now your life. Grace once bestowed is not withdrawn, for God knew all your human failures beforehand. He saved you in spite of all of your sins. And please understand that the failure of devotion does not cause the withdrawal of bestowed grace. Somebody will say, well, you must, be. no, 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 no. You are a child of God. And so what is your, should your attitude be? Your attitude should be that to believe and to consent to be loved while unworthy. To refuse to make resolutions and vows as a means to keep the Lord's favor. For that is trusting in your flesh. To expect to be blessed even though you realize more and more that you do not deserve the least of his blessings. To testify of God's goodness at all times, to be certain of God's future favor, yet to be ever more tender and conscious toward him, to rely on God's chastening hand as a mark of his kindness. To hope to be better is to fail to see yourself as complete in Christ. 
To be disappointed in yourself is to believe in yourself. To be discouraged is unbelief. To be proud is to be blind. The lack of divine blessing therefore comes from unbelief and not from failure of devotion. Real devotion to God arises not from a man's desire to show it, but from a realization that he has been abundantly blessed even though he realizes he deserves the least of God's blessings. To preach devotion first and blessing second is to reverse God's order and preach law, not grace. And so we need to realize who we are and whose we are. And the way that came to be is because of God and God being committed to his own grace. And he saved you not because you deserve to be saved. He saved you to show forth his own kindness, his mercy. So I may not finish all of my notes but I believe God wanted at least one person in this place to hear what I just said. Because the enemy attacks new believers. Especially when they hear voices of people saying, well, you ought to do this because. No, you ought to let the Lord love you. And this I see in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Shepherding is comprehensive in its nature. I shall not want. And this brings about the name Jehovah Jireh. The name is translated as the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Second Peter 1 verses 2 and 3 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine nature has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Everything that you stand in need of. In many parts of scripture, God is described as the shepherd who cares for and feeds his own people. There is the imagery of a shepherd gathering his lamb in his arms and gently carrying them in his bosoms. The imagery of the 23rd Psalm is intended to give the readers a sense of the tenderness with which God cares for those who belong to him. And you need to remember, God cares for you. God loves you not because he likes what you are. God loves you in spite of. And every time the enemy whispers in your ear that, 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 that you are so bad, there's no way God can love somebody like you. Hmm. You know what you ought to say? I know it, but I have a contract. I have a book that tells me that God loves me in spite of my unworthiness. Use the word on him. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Shepherds were responsible for the survival and physical well-being of their sheep. 
our shepherd is ready, willing, and able. I think about, when I think about that phrase, I think about somebody swimming in a swimming pool or a body of water, and they're drowning. And there's nobody else around but Donald Smith. And there's no life raft. There's nothing. That's just Donald Smith. I would be ever so ready to save you. I would be ever so willing to save you, but guess what? You would drown because I can't swim. But our God is ready, willing, and able to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Whatever the need may be, he is ready, willing, and able. You do not have to worry about anything. The shepherd provided for the physical needs, the spiritual needs, the sanctification, the inner peace, the protection from enemies, healing, uh, the oil of, of, of healing and anointing, uh, comfort in life, eternal joy. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Sheep lie down when they have eaten and are full. They lie down to rest. Pastures speak of places where food is available. Green pastures speak both of abundance, and it speaks also of the quality of the grass, the tender grasses which make it easier for the sheep to eat and to digest. Sheep are afraid of running water. And so the shepherd leads the gentle, calm streams, but he also leads with a calm voice. The scripture says that he goes before them, and he leads them. Uh, John 10, 3 through 5 says, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. He restores my soul. Uh, Jehovah M. Kadesh, I am the Lord who sanctifies. I am the Lord who sanctifies. The Lord convicts us of sin, doesn't he? But the word of God says the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The Lord does not convict us to make us miserable. He convicts us to restore us back to where we need to be. He provides correction. For whom the Lord loves, says the proverbial writer, he reproves even as the father corrects the son in whom he delights. He provides forgiveness. Confess your sins and he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And he restores you to joy. John Ortberg, in his book Soul Keeping, quotes Dallas Willard, who said, The devil can't make you sin. He will make you busy because either way, your soul will shrivel. Our world will divert your soul's attention because it is a cluttered world, and clutter is maybe the most dangerous result because it is so subtle. You must arrange your days so that you are in, in, experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly, he says, eliminate hurry from your life. 
I didn't say you should experience total contentment, joy, and confidence in the remarkable adequacy of your competence or the amazingly successful circumstances of your life. It is total contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday experience with God. This alone is what makes a soul healthy. Who's shepherding you? Who is guiding you? Who is watching over you? Who is caring for you? Who is walking with you each and every minute of the day? Who's shepherding you? The psalmist says, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord, our righteousness. Jesus Christ himself, says Paul to the saints at Corinth, is our righteousness. He is our redemption. He is our righteousness. He leads us in right paths. There's a way which seems right to man, but the end is the way of death. When sheep could become enticed by grass that looks greener, they wander off into danger. But the shepherd gently guides them back into the right path. The word of God says the just shall live by faith. And so it's the confidence that the sheep have in the shepherd as he leads them. He gives us his spirit and we're called to walk in the spirit. We're to walk in the word of God. And we're to do all for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord is our provider. The Lord is our protector. The Lord keeps us from danger. The shepherd's staff was used both as a defensive weapon against those that would destroy the sheep, but it was also used to pull sheep from danger. I was reading somewhere where someone, even in modern times, someone was using a shepherd's staff to pull a sheep from a crevice in which the sheep had fallen. So the Lord is with us. And the, sh the sheep looks at the staff because the sheep has ex have experienced what the shepherd has done in using his staff to fend off those that would destroy them. The sheep have seen what the shepherd have done in pulling their fellow sheep from danger. And so he says, your rod and your staff Comfort me. I look to you to provide everything that I stand in need of. May I suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that peace is not necessarily the absence of trouble. It is the presence of the Lord. Let me say that again. Peace is not necessarily the absence of trouble. It is the presence of the Lord. Jehovah Shalom, the, the Lord is our peace. And this is the name, one of the names that were given to the Lord. The Lord uses that of himself. He is our peace. And Jesus Christ is our peace. Sheep lie down when they're at peace. 
Uh, we're all familiar with the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Again, I ask the question, who's shepherding you? What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and to enjoy him fully forever. To glorify man and to enjoy him fully forever. Let me say it this way. It is to glorify God by enjoying him fully forever. We are called to enjoy God. If worship is the re joyful reflection back to God, the radiance of his worth, then your authentic worship should overflow onto those around you, especially your children with whom you live. Good parents do not withhold good things from their children. Knowing Jesus is too good to keep to yourself. Have you ever heard anybody say, you know, I have, I have religion, but I'm not going to put my religion on my children. I'm going to wait until they grow up and they can decide for themselves. Really? Hmm. Well, if religion is all you have, then I think you should keep it to yourself. But on the other hand, if you know Jesus, why wouldn't you want your children to know him? You know, part of the enjoyment of something is to sharing it. When you go on vacation and you come back, part of the enjoyment of vacation is getting to share the great time that you had. Part of the enjoyment of a great restaurant is when you have a great meal there and the service was just outstanding, is telling somebody, my, what an awesome time we had at that restaurant. What a great meal. You ought to go there and try it. What an awesome Savior we have. You ought to try him. Um, you know what, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up as I try to rush through my last couple of points. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. The name Jehovah Nisei means the Lord is my banner. The Lord watches over me even when my enemies are lurking about and I can trust him. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup runs over. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His mercies are new and fresh every day. The Lord invites each one of us to have such a relationship like that which exists I won't say existed, but that, that which exists, present tense, between David and the Lord. David was not the first one who made such a claim. When Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, came to the end of his earthly existence, we find these words in Genesis 48, 15 to 16, as he pronounced a blessing upon the sons of Joseph. He blessed Joseph and said, The Lord, the God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the lads. A good shepherd blesses his people. And those who are blessed want others to know.
a good shepherd ensures that all of his sheep will get home. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. A good shepherd ensures that the sheep will make it home. Will you stand, please?